Welcome to The Offering with Jerry Hara, the show where we can have a quiet and frank discussion as adults about the things that matter to me, or at least that I think matter to me. Please take a moment to subscribe to our show wherever you get fine podcasts. And hey, stay up to date on future episodes. Hey there, it's your pal Jerry Hara, and welcome to The Offering. This week, we're going to be talking about Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. It is a very controversial film. Some love it, some hate it, but here's the facts. with Jerry Hara. Shockingly, I still am Jerry Hara. Uh, I hope that you're having a wonderful day or evening. Uh, tonight could be the night for you to play around with bath salts. Uh, bath salts, the ones you put in the bath, like the Epsom salts. I got one the other night. It was fantastic. Aloe, vitamin E, and shea butter. Unbelievable. So today's offering is all about, (laughs) there was no hard transition. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Jerry, you're talking about fucking bath salts. Like, who wants to hear this? Really? We have the critical reassessment and reappraisal of Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is a 1982 American science fiction horror film and the third installment in the Halloween film series. It is the first film to be written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, John Carpenter, and Deborah Hill. And I always say this to people, if you're a fan of John Carpenter, put some fucking respect on Deborah Hill's name, okay? Because all of your favorite movies that John Carpenter made would not have been possible uh, without the lovely and dearly departed Deborah Hill. So that should be something as a horror fan that's in your vernacular that you understand how much this woman contributed to so much stuff that is iconic and even this film. Uh, the creators of Halloween, uh, basically at this point, Halloween as a franchise was over at Universal Pictures. Universal, I, I hate to say this, but they were looking at Halloween as a potential franchise that would rival their Universal monsters. That was the whole impetus for it and for them to take control of Halloween too. Um, they handled the you know the North American distribution, so they they wanted a monster. They wanted something classical. Now, Halloween three only cost two point five million dollars to make. Um, now, you probably I, I would add another half a million for marketing, maybe a million. Uh, the marketing stuff is really good. If you have the Shout Factory Blu-ray set, um, I think it's still the same disc, but there's a really good feature on there that just explains the, you know, the marketing and, and how it worked. But uh, if you think about it, uh, Universal was looking to really have this be a tentpole film, but they said, you know what? It's John Carpenter. We trust him. It's only $2.5 million. You know, at this time, 80, like that same year, Universal had E.T. So just think about, you know, budget and what's for $2.5 million. It's dropping the hat for a major studio in 1982. Went on to gross $14.7 million, which isn't bad. Okay. They made their money back in tenfold, but they wanted that Michael Myers money. And unfortunately, that is kind of what happened with this film. When Halloween 3 Season of the Witch was released, 
Uh, it was a flop, and the critics hated it. They lambasted it. The critics savaged Halloween 3. They, there was no, no love for this film whatsoever. Uh, the promotion kind of ended abruptly because they, they knew that they might have had a stinker. But sometimes, through the magic of home video and the magic of a rabid fan base building over time, a lot of people consider Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, to be an absolute classic. Some folks will even tell you it's the best film in the entire series. And here's the thing, I'm a fan, so I, I can't argue either way. But when they had went, okay, John Carpenter was not directing, okay? And Universal was like, okay, then we're not going to put $5 million into this picture, okay? So we're going to get Tommy Lee Wallace. And he had worked on the other Halloween films. Um, even Dean Cundy, who was the cinematographer for Halloween, Halloween 2, he thought Carpenter was going to direct this one. He didn't know until, like, you know, the, the, the 11th hour. He's like, oh, Carpenter's not directing? But Tommy Lee Wallace, and, and this is what sucks, too, because, like, this was his first big, like, studio feature. You know, it's, it's, it's in a franchise. Um, wow, you know, what an opportunity. And it's like he kind of got blacklisted as the guy who screwed up Halloween. Carpenter and Hill had an interesting idea in that these films could become an anthology series. Um, I think what happened was where the disconnect is that audiences who had seen Halloween 1 and 2, uh, they wanted my, they thought that the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode would continue. And, and I, I don't blame them. I understand. But there's some things that you need to understand about how film worked in 1982. Okay, let's go back in our way back machine. Um, yeah, Friday the 13th. Well, you start with Halloween, okay? We're not going to go back to Black Christmas. We don't have time for that. You go to Halloween, it's 78. Friday the 13th is the film in 1980 that apes it, uh, thus basically starting the slasher craze, which really starts to mature in 1980 and then kind of ends in like 82, 83. It's, it's, it's a short life cycle. But in that life cycle, if you go back to 1982, that's the end of the slasher cycle. You've already had every holiday, well, except for Silent Night, Deadly Night, but that happens in 84, a mere two years away. And at that point, it was more about titillation and how to advertise a film than get butts and seats. Uh, this film comes in at 82, and that's the end of the slasher uh, cycle. So you have to think to yourself, well, you know what? Maybe this is cool. They're going to do an anthology and it's, it's going to be kind of like the Twilight Zone and they're going to do multiple different films. People didn't see it that way. And I think that because Halloween made as much money as it was, as it did, and it was iconic, um, they expected Michael Myers. They wanted nothing more than to have it be a slasher film where you you know, you yell at the screen, you throw your popcorn, you have a rough old time, maybe you get fingered for the first time. Who knows? Things happen. Um, God, I really feel bad about that, but I had to get it out. I promise I'll be good for the rest of the episode. Maybe, maybe. Okay. So the movie comes out and essentially it's a flop. Okay. Even though it still makes a ton of money. I mean, $14 million in 1982 money is still nothing to scoff at. The whole thing is crazy because when I was a kid, I was probably around five years old, and the original Halloween had debuted, and it was like a big event on NBC. 
Then Halloween 2 came out, and it was also like a big event when it finally came to like terrestrial television. Now, Halloween 3 was on Channel 11, which was like the New York, uh, it, was, it was like the mom and pop station of New York City. And uh, it was like, it was like they, you know, it was like second tier television. It wasn't exactly a big event, but they made it an event and I was excited to watch it. And I remember it was like a Saturday night. It was like eight o'clock and I was so pumped because I knew that Channel 11 had the horror movies and New Channel 5 had the horror movies and the Kung Fu. I knew intrinsically by the time I was four years old, what was on television without even having to look at a TV guide. So... (laughs) I'm watching Halloween three season of the witch for the first time. I'm like five years old, six years old, and it's on TV. And I'm like, Oh, this is awesome. And my mom's like, wait, what are you watching? And like, she's like, Jerry, look, you're going to have nightmares. You can't watch this. This is, this is too scary. Now she's not wrong. (laughs) Uh, A year or two prior to this, my father put on Halloween, the, the 78, the original John Carpenter was very big in our house. We watched a lot of John Carpenter movies, but I remember as a kid, he put on Halloween and the music made me run and hide underneath the coffee table. That's how scared I was. That's how much of an impact that film made on me. So there I was, I was bummed out as a little kid, like, God damn it. So my mom won't let me watch Halloween three, like whatever. That week we go to the library and wouldn't you know, wouldn't you know, let's see, my parents said like, read as many books as you like. They don't even care what I'm reading. It could be the anarchist cookbook. As long as I'm reading, it is a positive thing. So I snuck in the official authorization of Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. And it was it was so graphic and ghastly as a book, but I snuck it in. I was like, yeah, I'm going to take these out, Mom. And I just like put a bunch of other books on top of it and then gave it to the librarian. I think she even looked at me. She was like, oh, but whatever. It was great. I eventually did get to see it on VHS. Um... I was like one of those kids, by the time I was like eight, nine years old, your parents just kind of let you rent whatever you want. So I think it was one of those situations. So most people, they have the nostalgia for this film because largely um, it had the distribution and there was tons of copies of the VHS. Uh, Halloween 3 did very well on VHS. And that's the thing. You know, those numbers never came out, but there were films that made a lot of money. You know, if you're doing direct sell through those, those tapes, they were like a hundred bucks at the time, you know, it was big money. So a lot of these films have lived on, uh, via VHS. Okay. So we're going to get back to the making of Halloween three, just really quickly. Um, people were pissed. Uh, Mustafa Akkad, who was the producer at the time, he says, we have to get back Michael Myers. I don't care what we do for sequel. We have to get back Michael Myers. So he was dead set. Plus, if you're the guy putting up the money, um, I forget the gentleman's name. He was the other producer from Trank S International. And even he was kind of like, you know, what are you guys doing? And, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. They released this uh, in October in cinemas. It's 98 minutes. It's a lean movie. I got to say, as far as films that move, Halloween 3 moves. It gets right to the action. Now, we we have this weird witchcraft theme, and there's science fiction aspects in this film. The, the DNA of this film has a lot to do with 1950s and 1960s films like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's very obvious to see those influences in this film. I mean, they're all over. The fingerprints 
of that era of the nuclear age science fiction horror film are in the DNA of Halloween 3. Basically, Wallace was kind of the sacrificial lamb, unfortunately, because he made this film. And like I said, he kind of got blacklisted. People didn't want to want to hire him. Um, Part of the thing was that the frequency of the graphic violence and blood of this film, it's actually less than Halloween 2. And Halloween 2 famously had all the stuff that was reshot by Carpenter. Even though the film was directed by Rick Rosenthal, uh, Carpenter came in for the reshoots and added all the gore because at that point in 81, they had to keep up with the Joneses. And keeping up with the Joneses meant keeping up with Friday the 13th. And considering the stuff that Tom Savini was putting out at that time, Carpenter knew he had to compete. So this movie, even though it has some nasty stuff in it and it's violent, it's nowhere near the, the sheer graphic horror that is the first two Halloween films. Um, it has gone on to become a cult film, which has legions of fans. I mean, it it really, it's incredible to this day. It even impresses me, um, because it really is a good film. And here's the thing. I know that they wanted to continue the Laurie Strode, uh, character and everything. If you read the book, taking shape Two, in that book, They explain all the Halloween movies that never got made. And it is a fantastic read. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, What I would have done, and this is is a bit controversial. Well, I mean, look, everybody loves Tom Atkins. Okay, Tom Atkins is just such a beloved figure. Now, if I was going to do Halloween 4, I would have gotten Tom Atkins to come back. And I would have had Halloween 3 bleed over into Halloween 4. Now, the intersection happens in Halloween 6, which, you know, whatever you want to call it, Halloween 666, the one with Paul Rudd. And essentially, they tie that together with the Celtic mythology, which kind of is introduced in Halloween 3. So in some way, we've always talked about that there's trilogies within series. Halloween 4, 5, and 6 is a trilogy. Um, it it all culminates and pays off in some weird way with all kinds of Celtic ruins. And I mean, I, I was reading some of the, the Halloween 666, um, screenplay that was one of the initial offerings that they had made to the studio and it revolved around virtual reality. God, it was, it was just terrible. And there was a component where they had to time travel. And if they brought Michael Myers back to his grave, they could like uh, put him through a portal. Again, we're going to be doing an upcoming episode with with Taking Shape and Taking Shape 2. It's it's very interesting stuff. Um, I would have had this character, Tom Atkins, and, and it escapes me the character's name right now. It's terrible, I know. I should probably be looking at the... the um, the the back of the VHS or DVD box, but I'm not. So let's just call him Tom Atkins because let's face it, has Tom Atkins ever? Oh Jesus, here it is. I found it. Daniel Dallas. Don Daniel Dallas. Jesus. Okay, so he's Tom Atkins, and uh, Tom Atkins in Night of the Creeps. He's essentially playing Tom Atkins, and that's fine because we love him. He's he's a great actor. He's a great presence. He always classes up the proceedings. And I think if you would have had Tom Atkins and the late, great Donald Pleasance working together, I think that would have been a tight movie. 
And you kind of could have done like a 48 hours grumpy old men version of that where they're just, you know, yelling at each other and Tom Atkins. And, but I think that he was a good enough character uh, as a doctor. And it's crazy because the other night I was watching Planet Terror and there's so much of the Josh Brolin. The Josh Brolin character in Planet Terror is basically playing Tom Atkins in that film. And it's cool as fuck. Um Tom Atkins goes into Halloween four. You've got a new hero to fight this new super powered Michael Myers. Um, there was no unequivocal way that they would disregard Halloween three. And unfortunately, because of the time that it came out in 82, um, it was a victim. You know, now we've, we're so spoiled. We're so used to like the MCU we're so used to the connective tissue of universes. You guys remember the dark universe? Oh, Jesus, that might be an episode for another time when they tried to bring back the universal monsters and it was just terrible. Uh, I digress. The reality of it is, is if Halloween 3 was made today, uh, Tom Atkins would have easily been in future films because I think that it was in the same world. Even though in Halloween 3, there's obviously parts of the movie where you can see the film Halloween playing like in the gas station it's <laughs> you know the, the film so it's kind of like does Halloween 3 take place in our universe you get what I'm saying or it's kind of like this weird meta thing and that was way before um, anything uh, skeleton and witch masks as well as the pumpkin mask fantastic design they were created by the great Don Post um, Dan, oh Jesus, Dan Chalice is his name. Dan Chalice. I couldn't for the life of me. I love that Chalice. What a great name. Um, when approached about creating a third Halloween film, the original writers were reluctant to pledge commitment. So basically Carper, Carpenter and Hill were like, hey, the only way we're going to do this is if we get to do something original. Um, these, the, the song in the movie, the Silver Shamrock song, it's completely iconic. You know, it stays in your head. It's its a nefarious little tune. Um, the orange day glow, jack-o'-lantern, the witch. They use the masks to great effect. There's a TV spot that they use the masks. A little bit of bait and switch because I was like, oh, when I first saw the masks as a kid, I was like, is there three killers? There's like, there's a pumpkin, a witch. You know, like, are, are there? there's three of them, right? Uh, NECA recently, the collectible company, did a set uh, of the, the three trick-or-treaters um, from Halloween 3. And it's really great to see that being embraced by the fans as, as well as a company like NECA. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of one of these weird things uh, that they wanted to put the shape mask in Halloween three, just as kind of a gag, but for whatever reason with the whole drama with William Shatner, they weren't able to make that happen. So they couldn't get the deal. This is the weirdest thing that you couldn't even get the rights to the, to the Michael Myers mask because of whatever reason at that, that point in time, it was just a very strange, strange thing. Um, this was another film they shot in uh, Loletta, California. And it really a, a beautiful place. That's where the Silver Shamrock novelty place is. I mean, it's <laughs> you couldn't really ask for more as far as a sinister corporation. And here's the thing. Uh, and this should be a part of anyone's critical reappraisal of Halloween three 
is that the film deals with consumerism. You're listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. Got a question or a story you want to share with me? It might be featured in a future episode. Email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter at jerryhara. I'm also on Instagram. You can find me there at jerryhara. Rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review in an upcoming episode. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to The Offering. Now back to the show. When it gets down to it, it's about, hey, we're going to get all these things because our kids are just fucking spoiled and we're going to give them masks and and they want it. They want it bad because of the commercials. And this was a time of the burgeoning of G.I. Joe and Masters of the Universe when uh, the FCC just let everybody go crazy and market things that, you know, like no nutritional value as far as entertainment, but they were marketed towards toward kids. And I think that was kind of what... um they were saying and it's a weird thing with the halloween three season of the witch screenplay because it, it had to get a third pass by this guy named nigel neal um mostly because carpenter had admired this guy he had done the Quartermass series and uh he said that you know hey look this guy could easily rewrite the script and polish it and Basically, he did. And ultimately, the main story of Halloween 3 is that it has to do with deception, psychological rather than physical, which is what Michael Myers represents. Now, here's the thing. Dino De Laurentiis, the infamous Italian producer who had stake, I don't know what deal with the devil he made to have control over Halloween 3, but he said, this movie's got to be violent. You know, this is a guy who, who grew up in the film system and, and knew all the guys like Dario Argento. And he knew at that time, this movie has got to be violent. So De Laurentiis gets the first cut of the movie and he says, no way you got to come back and you have to put some more blood in it and some boobs. You wanted blood and boobs, very important to the uh, proceedings, especially for a film called Halloween three, you got to have boobs. You got to have blood. It's got to happen. So uh, basically once they put in all the violence, this guy, Neil, comes back, the screenplay, who rewrote the, the, the author who did the Quartermass books. He comes back and he says, listen, I just saw the new cut of the movie. It's got all this blood, got all this violence. Take my name off of it. So they give the script back to Tommy Lee Wallace and Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And ultimately, he does not get credited for the screenplay, even though it's 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 this guy. It's it's his screenplay. You know, it made it up there. And Wallace had told Fangoria at the time that he created the title of the film to reference as a plot point the three masks featured in the film and an attempt to connect this film with the others in the series. He explained in the interview that the direction that Carpenter and Hill wanted to take the Halloween series was their intention to create an anthology that would be released on a yearly basis in cinemas. And I think that's a great idea. Every Halloween, you would have this new Halloween movie to look forward to. And that sounds like a lot of fun because you never know what you're going to get. Each year, it's an anthology. Hey, maybe Michael Myers does come back. But in some weird alternate timeline, that happens. Halloween 3 is a huge hit. And everybody's like, every year we need a new franchise. You know, every year we need a new installment. Excuse me. I, I Once I get those IPs going. Um... Ultimately, Halloween 3's uh, legacy 
you have so many people now that are influenced by this film and, and you can see it in, in so many people that are directing movies today. Um, it, the DNA is in there. And again, whatever you do think, even if you don't like this film, but you're a fan of the franchise, it's the same cinematographer. Uh, John Carpenter teams up with Alan Howarth. Alan Howarth, I got to meet at the uh, the Maining uh, in Pennsylvania. They had the drive-in and, oh, yeah, I think that was the one. And I got Alan Howarth to sign my copy of Halloween 3. He brings, it's Carpenter doing the music with him, but Alan Howarth brings something to the score that is just very doom. There is this very doomy vibe. And that is one of the reasons that I love this film so much is because the mood is dark and grimy and it's it's evocative. It, you know, like I, I, I was watching Mandy last night as Panos Cosmatos and, and God damn, like you could feel parts of not not as as someone who has stolen things outright like Tarantino, but you could feel just like this guy watched a lot of John Carpenter films and was able to to get this down. And that's the thing. Once you bring in Carpenter and Alan Howarth into this film, even though it's not the traditional Halloween score, it changes everything. It just changes the whole vibe of the movie. And that's largely why it works. So the connective tissue, Tommy Lee Wallace worked on the films, Deborah Hill, John Carpenter, hey, our buddy Alan Howarth, everybody crossed over into this third movie. So there was bleed over. But ultimately because of the terrible experience that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill had on this film, they sold their interest in Halloween. And once that happened, that's how Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, happens. Um, they wanted nothing to do with it. And I don't, I don't blame them. You get to a point. I feel, though, I feel, though, like if Deborah Hill and John Carpenter could have held out for a few more years, because this film is, is a juggernaut. You know, right right now, in, in the year of our Lord, 2021, we are anticipating the release of Halloween Kills. And everybody's really excited for it. And I don't care what you think, it's cool. You know, this, this series has gone on. Um, it would be neat to see them return to form with Halloween 3. But at this point, with the reintroduction again of the Laurie Strode character and a different timeline that's set up, it just becomes harder and harder than to go back to something that would be an anthology because people are so invested. Um, I think even Rob Zombie, um, and this is very controversial opinion. This is the hot take. I think there's a lot of great stuff in the Rob Zombie films. I love Halloween too. His Halloween too is an underrated masterpiece. It is a, it's a cinematic slap in the head with a shovel and then you vomit all over yourself and pass out. It, it's a, it's a great movie. And that movie was made under tons of stress. So it is what it is, but ultimately what killed the zombie movies was he got stuck having to remake Halloween in the last half hour of his Halloween remake. And I think that his stuff would have worked better had he not been so constrained by the mythology and the stuff had been able to breathe on its own, almost like a graphic novel. The zombie films are like graphic novels. They're like one-shots that you would get back in the day with Marvel, you know, where it was like, hey, this is one story, self-contained. <sighs> I digress in a different world. And I know some of you are going to get mad. You're definitely going to hold me to this. But I will, I will at some point, 
in a future episode talk about the merits of the Rob Zombie films. They're, they're great films. <laughs> and again, it's controversial, I know, but it's okay. You know, it's it's completely okay. This film works for so many reasons. It's It's got a great cast. You know, obviously the aforementioned Tom Atkins, but veteran actor Dan O'Herlihy, who you might remember from RoboCop. Yes, he was the, the evil OCP um, CEO. Uh, he, to great effect, represents the Irish people who have come here, and they represent uh, Sawin, Sam Hain, and uh, that's a really interesting thing to put in this. And it's cool because you kind of have this big bad guy who's pulling all the strings, and he's just an old Irish businessman, really. Um, you know, it's one of those things. Sometimes it takes a movie, it takes time for a film to find an audience. And this is very much the case with this film. Fortunately or unfortunately, um, you know, some people like it, some people don't, and that's fine. It's okay. You know, like, there's a lot of terrible movies that I love. You know, I, I, I love that Masters of the Universe film with Dolph Lundgren, and that is a terrible film. Actually, okay, Truth be told, every time I put on Masters of the Universe, I forget how much I hate. Ma it's like it's not a good movie. It's a terrible film. But I will watch it for Frank Langella's performance as Skeletor. Absolutely riveting. 10 out of 10 for Frank Langella. Uh, yeah, Halloween 3 has found its audience. It's found a home in the hearts of horror fans. I enjoy it. I, I love it. I think it's a great movie. It fits in with the rest of the franchise. I wish that they could have expanded that. And like I said, it does come full circle with the four, five, and six trilogy ultimately being revealed that this cult are the ones that are running the whole Michael Myers thing. And I feel like that kind of harkens back. So is Halloween three a horror movie? Yes, it's a horror movie, but it has a lot of science fiction thrown in there, you know, uh, for good measure. Uh, I think that if you've never seen it, you should see it. But Roger Ebert trashed this movie. Gene Siskel trashed this movie. And I will say, as a young man who used to read their reviews, if they hated something, it made me run out and see it. Oh, Friday the 13th Part 4 is the, is the biggest piece of trash you've ever seen. It's the cinematic equivalent of rape. Fantastic. You just sent my little fat ass to run down to the video store and rent that bitch ASAP. Because I knew anything that fucking Roger Ebert hated, I was going to be all in, especially when it came to horror. And that is the weird reverse psychology. You would think that they're in bed with producers. They're like, go, trash the movie. The kids will go see it. Anyway. I don't give a fuck. But yeah, it's one of those things. The more critics would tell you, oh, this is a gruesome and violent film. I got to see it. I got to, got to see it. You know, they put that out there. It, it's just crazy. Well, that's this week's offering. Nothing crazy. Just kind of chilling, doing our thing. I hope that you've had a, a good time. And don't forget, you can always get me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, every platform known to man, at Jerry Haro. You want to talk about Halloween? Let's talk about Halloween. You might not like my opinions, and that's fine. You want to know why? Because you can go fuck yourself. I don't care. All right? I said it. Listen, you got a problem with what I think about Halloween 3? Love Halloween 3. Okay? You don't like Halloween 3? Go fuck yourself. That, that's all I got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you're here with me. And unfortunately, it's time for me to go. Don't forget, folks, peace of mind is priceless. You've been listening to The Offering with Jerry Hara. I'm very sorry. 
produced by Pete Butte. If you have a question or a story you want to share with me, we'd love to hear from you. You can email me at jerryhara at gmail.com or hit us up at Twitter at jerryhara or on Instagram at jerryhara. You get in the picture? Subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are provided for you and your family. I want you to enjoy. Just join us next time for another offer.